So Matthew chapter 5, we've been working our way through these a series of what are called Beatitudes or these blessings that Jesus pronounces here at the beginning of this sermon. The sermon that spans three chapters and in it Jesus really is teaching how his people are to live. How many of you are part of, of his family today? You're, you're, you're one of those people, amen. And, and he begins this uh, sermon with this section really describing the character, the, the, the personhood, the, 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 the way of uh, 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 really the inward man of the person that follows Christ. And we've been working our way through this section this morning. We're going to focus in on verse 7 this morning. But as we have been doing every week, we're going to read the, the whole section together as it really does go together. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we've gathered here in your name, your word teaches us that your presence is here with us. Lord, this, your presence here sets apart this gathering from every other kind of gathering. Lord, because you are here. Lord, where you go, you bring your blessing. Where you go in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Lord, where your presence is, there is healing and forgiveness and deliverance. Lord, we thank you that we can come and that we can meet with you. And Lord, that you have preserved your word for us. Lord, that you've sovereignly seen throughout the ages of history that your, these words that were spoken some 2,000 years on a hillside in Judea, Lord, that they would be preserved and make their way Lord, into our ears, but Lord, we, we hope and we pray that they would go much deeper than our ears, but that they would sink down into our hearts. And just as these words transformed this uh, group of fishermen and tax collectors and uh, just these followers of you into a mighty force in the earth for good, for your kingdom, Lord, we pray that likewise that your word would have a transforming effect in our lives. Lord, that we would not just be hearers 
deceiving ourselves, Lord, but that we would be doers of your word, that you would help us, Lord, to humble ourselves under your word, and that we would live in obedience to you, our Lord, and Lord, that we would produce good fruit with our lives, Lord. We know that that's what you want, that's your desire uh, from us, Lord, is that as you've saved us and redeemed us, that you would, you've sent us out to, to go and to bear good fruit fruit for your kingdom, fruit that would last, fruit that uh, would be a harvest unto you. Lord, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, God, that you would make us to be laborers in your great harvest. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this section, this, this section of blessings Jesus is talking about those who have been born again. We've mentioned this every week, and I want to mention it here again this morning. He's talking about the character of those who have been transformed by grace. Uh, the, the Christian faith is not a list of do's and don'ts. The Christian faith is not primarily... Uh, a set of moral teachings, though it does have the highest standards of morality. The Christian faith is about the gospel. It's about God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. The, the Christian faith doesn't start in Matthew, in the New Testament. The Christian faith starts in Genesis, with God creating the world with God setting mankind as his image bearers and, and sending his image bearers out into the world to go and extend God's rule and God's reign throughout all of creation. That's where the gospel starts. That's where Christianity starts. Of course, we know that mankind has not followed God, has not lived under the kingdom of God, has not submitted to the rule and the reign of God, but instead has been led astray through sin and is now a part of the kingdom of darkness. That's the story of Genesis. Genesis tells us how we got here and why the world is the way that it is. But then when we come to the New Testament, when we come to the gospel, when we come to uh, the, this Christianity, it's the fulfillment of everything that God has been doing up until that point by sending his own son who would fix what Adam had broken in the garden, who, who would make a way for mankind to be restored back to his original position with God. We see in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve, they walked with God. They had fellowship with God. They were in communion with God. You and I were designed by God as his image bearers to walk in fellowship and in communion with God. Of course, sin brought a great separation between us and God who is holy. And so God looked down upon our, our lowly estate. He looked down upon us with pity and he came and he died and he rose again to provide new life, to provide reconciliation, to provide forgiveness and healing and hope and restoration to all who would repent of their sin, to all who would call out to God for forgiveness 
The Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who would turn in faith and repentance to the work that Jesus did on the cross. Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Jesus is... He stands above everybody else. He is, we sang it this morning, that name above every name. Jesus. Jesus who is God with us. Jesus who's God in the flesh. Jesus who who took on human flesh so that that human flesh could be nailed to a cross. So that he could shed his blood to pay the price and the penalty for our sins. That are many. Our sins that are many. How many of you sinned this week? Don't raise your hand. You don't need to. (laughs) If you're breathing, you sinned this week. There's nobody like Jesus. The love of God manifests in the cross of Christ. And here, this section describes those who have had an encounter with this Jesus, who who have experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I asked how many of you had sinned this week, but how many of you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? That, That conviction that doesn't condemn us, but that draws us closer to the Lord. That conviction that pulls us into the source of our forgiveness that draws us back to that fountain that runs from his side. The only only place we can go for forgiveness, the only place we can go for healing, the only place that we can go, it is Christ. And here this This section, these beatitudes, these blessings describe those who have experienced what I'm talking about here today. Starting with the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who have recognized that without Christ, they are nothing. Do you recognize that this morning, this poverty of spirit? That song, I don't remember what song it is, but nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We we offer up to him nothing, but he gives to us everything. This poverty of spirit, this is where it starts. And this is a progression that's, Each one of these is a logical progression. It builds one upon the other. Poverty of spirit and those who mourn, they will be comforted. What do we mourn over? What do we grieve over? Don't we grieve over Paul? Like Paul said in Romans 7, oh, wretched man that I am. We grieve over the the indwelling presence of sin still in our lives. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, those who have have a, a right view of themselves. Those who 
have been empowered by the Spirit of God, but, but use it under the, the subjection of his control, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Last week, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, this is now moving into the positive of, of I, want the, I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I, I want to see the righteousness of Christ in my heart and in my life. I will not be satisfied until I see his character in me. Just as I won't be satisfied this afternoon until I go and eat my enchiladas. <laughs> right? The, Jesus equates this desiring for righteousness, the character of Christ in our lives. He equates it to those who are hungry. To those who are hungry. Now, if, if, if it gets much past noon, I, I make this transition from hungry to hangry. Anybody have that happen? But do we feel that way about the, the, the character of Christ in our lives? In just a few minutes, it's going to be 100 degrees here in Texas. And when I think about being thirsty, I immediately think about mowing my lawn on a Texas day. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you are, when you are hungry, don't you just stop everything you're doing to go and to satisfy that hunger. When you are so thirsty, don't, don't you go and, and get something that will satisfy your thirst. But there is nothing that will satisfy the longings of the human soul except for the righteousness of God. To have the character of Christ birthed in our lives. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled they shall be satisfied. This, this logical progression now leads us here to verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, Jesus is talking about those who have been born again, those who have been transformed by his grace. We can see this so evidently in the fact that the world we live in, the culture that we live in that is very fallen today, does not value showing mercy. We, I don't think any of us would argue that showing mercy is a high priority in our culture. We don't praise people for their great acts of mercy. What kind of stories do we prefer? Don't we prefer stories of re revenge? Right? Isn't that what we love to watch? People, people getting revenge? Or do we prefer to go watch movies about people getting forgiveness? No, it's revenge. We love a good revenge flick. This is why John Wick movies make much more than the Hallmark Channel. You know, I mean, it's just, we'd rather watch a good, at least I would. All the men in here can at least say amen, amen. 
Our culture doesn't value showing mercy. Our culture values getting even. Getting even. And getting even in such a way that those people know they better never mess with you again. But Jesus here says blessed are not, it does, does not say blessed are those who get even, but blessed are the merciful. Now here I want to just take a minute and, and draw the contrast between mercy and grace. And this is something I've actually been, we've actually been teaching our children recently. They still don't have it figured out because it's a little bit confusing because they often get confused because they sound very similar. And they're related and there's certainly overlap to mercy and grace, but there is a distinction. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting, receiving what you don't deserve. So when we look to Christ, mercy is when Christ pardons our sin on the merits of Christ. When, 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 when the effects of sin, when, when the, the penalty and the payment for sin... The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. That because we've all sinned, we all deserve to die and to be eternally separated from God. That is what we deserve. Mercy is the, 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 the penalty being applied to Christ, Christ dying in our place. Mercy is us not going to hell and paying the price for our sin. That is mercy. Grace, on the other hand, grace takes mercy to another level. Grace says, here is eternal life. Here is fellowship with God. Here is life in heaven for all eternity. That's grace. Unmerited favor. Receiving what I don't deserve. So they're similar, they're related, they're connected. Yes, absolutely. But mercy and grace are distinct. Mercy not getting what you do deserve. Grace receiving what you don't deserve, what you have not earned. But I want to show you here this morning, this is an important thing that you see here in verse 7. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who show mercy. You see that? He doesn't say blessed are those who show mercy. He says blessed are the merciful. Now, will the merciful show mercy? Yes. But can you show mercy and not be merciful? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, what Jesus here is talking about, again, is not necessarily in this section... He's not talking about the deeds that we do. He's talking about the character of our hearts. You, you see, what we do flows out of who we are. And so Jesus here says, blessed not are those who do acts of mercy and show acts of mercy, but blessed are those who on the inside are truly merciful. 
You see, because you can show acts of mercy without having been transformed by the Holy Spirit, without having been transformed by the power of God. But to truly be merciful, to have that be a part of who you are, in the core of your being, in the character, the, the deepest parts of your soul, it takes a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. A fundamental change at the core of your being. The core of who we are. Blessed are those who are merciful. Now, of course, the merciful, what do they do? They show mercy, no doubt about it. And in the whole rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the, the, the deeds, the, the doing, the works that we do. But we must understand, it's so critical that we understand that these deeds that we do, the works that we do, flow out of a heart that's already transformed by grace. Already transformed by grace. The merciful. Now, I want to flip over, flip over with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus here gives us a parable. It's a very familiar one. I'm sure most of you have probably heard it before. But this parable so encapsulates this idea of showing mercy it helps us to understand what it means to be merciful. In verse 21, Matthew 18, 21, Peter came up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, I... I I read this and I have, a, I, have, I have trouble with sometimes my imagination just kind of, you know, getting, getting involved. And I imagine here that Peter is throwing out what he considers to be a great number. Lord, if I forgive my brother seven times, is that enough? I mean, that, that's, I mean, seven times. That, that seems like a big deal. That seems like a big number. And I can anticipate Peter thinking Jesus would say, oh, Peter, oh, Peter. Wow, seven times, you, Peter, wow. I would say six or maybe five, but Peter, you're just so wonderful. How forgiving you are, Peter, wow. But that's, of course, not the response that Peter gets. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And some, you know, the, the mathematicians in here go, okay, so 490. Okay, great. So I just, the 491st time, that's it. I, you're done. That's, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is basically telling Peter, stop keeping count. Don't keep count. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that love keeps no record of wrong. Stop keeping count. And then he tells this parable here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, that, that's what we're a part of, right? Right, the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? It, it looks like this. 
The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So the king had lent out funds, had lent out money, had had uh, invested in different properties, different businesses, and now it's time to settle accounts. So he calls his servant in and his servants, and, and they need to pay up or, or give an account or, or square up or settle up with the king. And verse 24 says, when the king began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a, a unit of wage that was a unit of money that was 20 years wages. So 10,000 talents is basically an incalculable number in their mind. If you actually calculate it, you can, you know, depending on how much you think people ought to make in a year and 20 years times 10,000, you could come up with a number. But we're, we're talking basically billions of dollars, okay? How the king let this guy run up a tab like this, I don't know. The important thing is that it, it, in his disciples' minds, it's just this astronomical number, this astronomical debt. And so he owes him 10,000 talents, billions of dollars in our minds. And since he could not pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So to settle this debt, everything you have and your wife and your kids are going to be sold into slavery and whatever profit we get from that is going to settle your account and then you're going to work in, in our service as our slave for the rest of your life. In verse 26 it says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, begging him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Verse 27 it says, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. And this first part is a picture of, This first part of the story is a picture of our relationship to God. We have run up against God an incalculable debt of sin. More than we even know what it is. We don't understand the depths of our sin. We don't understand the offense that it is to God. We don't understand how it has wounded God. We don't understand the depths of our sin because we we truly don't understand God. God who is holy, that that literally means that God is other. He's not like anything else. We cannot compare God to anything else. We cannot even begin to wrap our minds around who God is. But we we have a debt to him, a debt of sin, a debt of rebellion, that is incalculable. But if we will fall down on our knees and beg for mercy, through the merits of Christ, we will receive forgiveness because somebody else paid our debt. Because he himself paid our debt. 
If we will, like that tax collector in Luke 18, remember when the tax collector was praying? The Pharisees standing over there saying, I thank God I'm such a wonderful human being, and I thank God I'm so righteous and holy, and I thank God I'm like, not like this tax collector over here. But if we will be like that tax collector who beat his chest and prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We will receive mercy. First John says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen, friends, if you are in Christ today, if you have put your faith in Christ today, you have been freed of an incalculable debt. You have, you, your debt has been paid in full by Christ on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. And so he pardons this man. He says, go free. I've, I've had pity on you. I've looked upon you in your lowly estate that, that, that his heart was touched by the pleading, the crying out for mercy of this man. And he forgave him of his debt. But the story continues in verse 28. It says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii is a day's wage for a worker. So, basically, a hundred days worth of work. So, it's not an insignificant amount. That's, that's a significant amount of money. But again, compared to the debt that he was forgiven... It is minuscule. It's less than 1%. But he, found, he finds somebody that owes him 100 days wages, 100 denarii. And what does he do? Does he say, I have been forgiven and so I'm going to forgive you? No, it says that he grabs him by the shirt. He seizes him. And begins to choke him. Saying, pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then here's the kicker. Here, here's the part we got to really pay attention to. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The the point is this. If we have received mercy from God, if, if we have not received from God the penalty of our sin, that it's been laid upon Christ, that that act of mercy shown to us and received by us should change who we are. Because whatever sin has been done against me and committed against me by anybody, anyone, anything, it pales in comparison to the amount of sin that I have sinned against God. The debt cannot be compared. There is no way that I could ever need to forgive someone more than God has forgiven me. And to not see that, to not understand that means that I haven't understood mercy at all. It means I haven't understood the sin that I was forgiven of. It means I haven't understood the great depth of my sin. If I am not merciful, it means I haven't experienced the progression that we looked at this morning. Poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, hungering for righteousness. It it, it means I haven't experienced mercy. I haven't apprehended it. I haven't comprehended it. You see, mercy, when mercy is shown, it's shown when you have the power to demand justice, to demand personal justice, but instead you choose to give forgiveness. How can I, after praying, God be merciful to me, a sinner, How can I not extend that same mercy to somebody else? How can I expect God to forgive me when I don't forgive others? When my debt to him is so much greater than any debt of sin that's been sinned against me. If I'm not willing to forgive others and to have mercy on others, it means I know nothing of forgiveness and mercy. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that we earn our mercy by our merciful deeds. If that were the case, it wouldn't be mercy that we receive. If we earn it, it's not mercy. If we earn it, it's justice. So we do not earn our mercy. But we do show that we have received mercy by the way that we live. 
Now, sometimes it's a difficult thing to extend mercy and forgiveness to others because of the simple fact that for us to show it, it means that we have been wronged personally in some way. Sometimes it's easier to be gracious to someone, that is to, to go above and beyond people, to people that we like, right? To, to give things that, you know, that people don't deserve just because we want to be gracious. Sometimes that's a lot easier than showing mercy to those who have personally wronged us, who have offended us in one way or another. But when I'm in the position of power to give mercy and I have been wronged, the Bible says that I should endeavor to show mercy. And it should come from the, it should come from the core of my being that has been transformed by having received mercy for my sins against God. I want to look at one more verse today quickly. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is now talking about the second part of this passage. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Second Timothy chapter one, and let's start in. Verse 15, this is the last letter that we have that Paul wrote. He's writing in prison from Rome. This is during uh, his second imprisonment, uh, the one that ultimately ended in him uh, being martyred for his faith. He's writing to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith. He's all alone. He's been abandoned by many people at this point in his life. He's at a low point. And he says this in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And in verse 16 he says, may the Lord grant mercy. Mercy. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of, of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I believe he's talking about what Paul is talking about here. That day. On that day, on that last day, on the day when Christ returns and all of us will stand before him, the Bible says, we will all stand before the Lord. Amen. And those who have been transformed by Christ, who have been born again, who have had the blood applied, who are filled with his spirit, who have the character of Christ and are merciful, not by their own works, not by their own efforts or good deeds, but on the merits of Christ, on that day they will receive mercy. 
So the question that lies before us this morning is this. Are you merciful? Are you merciful? Are you someone who is like God in the sense that when, when you are wronged, when you are sinned against, when, when people ask you forgiveness, you forgive them, you show them mercy? Or do you keep that record of wrong? The psalmist says, O oh Lord, if you kept a record of wrong, no one could stand before you. The Bible says that God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That if God has done that for us, we should in turn do that for others. And it is those who have experienced grace, who have had their sins forgiven, who have been filled with God's spirit, who on that day when we stand before him and in his presence, on that day we will receive mercy. And so this section, this Beatitudes, it is a great mirror. It is a great mirror that the Lord Jesus holds up for us and he, he holds it up and he says, this is what it looks like to, for someone to have been transformed by my grace. Do, do you see these things in your life? Are they evident? Not that we're going to be perfect or never fall short or, or never sin or, or anything like that. No, no but, but do we see the, the, the general shape of Christ in our lives? If we do, if you do, you can have confidence that on that day you will receive mercy. But dear friends, if you see none of that in your life, if there's no poverty of spirit, no mourning over sin, no hungering and thirst for righteousness, no, no meekness, no mercy in your life, if you see none of that, dear friend, you are in a dangerous place this morning. You may be separated from God today. It's very possible that you, even hearing my voice this morning, are outside of Christ, separated from him, never having received his grace and mercy, never having called out to him for salvation. You see, it's not just about going to church on Sunday, and I'm glad that you're here. But this is, this is not the be-all, end-all of your spiritual life. It's about walking with God. It's about turning from sin. It's about repentance and faith in Christ. Amen. And you can go to church. You can go to church your whole life. You can slide through. You can even make it, make you, you can say all the right things. You can know when to stand, know when to sit, know what to sing, know when to shout, know when to clap. On the outside, have everybody fooled. But Jesus says, on that day, there will be many who come to him and say, Lord, we did all the right things. Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We went to Bible study. We went to church. I was baptized. I did this. I did that. And on that day, Jesus says, there will be many who hear these words, depart from me. I never knew you. And it would be a great shame for you to have been at Destiny Church. 
who have been here to hear the word of God, to hear the gospel that saves, that is the power of God unto salvation, but to have never apprehended it for yourself. To have never yourself called out to God for salvation. This is why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until tomorrow. Do, do you see in your life the character of Christ? Do you see the poverty of spirit, the mourning, the hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Do, do you see that you are someone who is merciful towards others? Or do you see the exact opposite? This is the portrait that Jesus put in his word to, to show us the truth, to rid us and to set us free from all of our delusions about ourselves, all of our self-deceptions, that we could know truly where we are. Either we are in Christ or we are outside of Christ. We are either forgiven or unforgiven, but that we would not be shocked on that day. Where do you stand this morning? Where do you stand this morning? I would encourage you this morning to, to, to not let today go by, to not let this moment go by without you calling out to God for salvation, calling out to him for mercy for your sins and see that he, see that he will do just as that merciful king did. He will look down on us with pity in our poor estate. Naked we come to him, broken we come to him, but he clothes us in his righteousness. He receives us in love. And he gives us mercy and he gives us grace. For those of us who have received the mercy of God, we therefore need to show mercy to others. We need to be merciful. So where in your life do you need to extend mercy? Where in your life do you need to extend forgiveness? Where have you not been merciful? If you've been walking in unforgiveness, if you've been walking in hardness of heart towards others, I'm calling on you as one of God's people today to repent of your unmerciful attitude, to repent of your unforgiveness towards others. It's not becoming of a Christ follower. And as we all come to the table this morning, we need to pray and ask that the Lord would renew our minds, that he would help us to, to forgive those who have wronged us just as he has forgiven us, and that he would give us the power and the strength to go and to live lives of mercy, to not be hard-hearted but to be people whose hearts are moved by the suffering and the hurting of others. Amen? Yeah. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people, to be merciful. Lord, if we have been unforgiving, unmerciful, ungracious, Lord, that you would convict us right now of that sin and that you would lead us into repentance. 
that we would turn from those attitudes that are not from you and that your character would be birthed in our lives. Lord, if there are any here this morning that need to call upon you for salvation, Lord, that you would grant the gift of repentance and faith that leads to eternal life. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray.